Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. We are moving into a new series of podcasts, friends, and over the course of Epiphany, we are going to be looking at a bunch of different Bible studies. So each week, either myself or Pastor Gary or intern Rita will record and share with you a close study of scripture. But each week, here's the unique part, we're going to be looking at a different element of Jesus's character. The season of Epiphany that we find ourselves in is a season of discovery and revelation and a chance for us to learn new things about who Jesus is and was and continues to be for us today. And so this podcast today, I'm going to be talking to you about Jesus, the storyteller, as we look at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 38. As always, thank you so much for your support of the podcast. Please uh, hop on iTunes and leave us a review and a rating. That really does help other people find the podcast. And share it with your family and friends. We're really excited about what we're able to do here and the ways that this podcast can hopefully help you in your daily walk of faith in those days between Sundays. Here we go, though, a Bible study on Luke 10, 25 through 37. Okay, everyone, it's time for a Bible study, and the way that these Bible studies are going to work all throughout this season of Epiphany is by asking the question, who is Jesus? Jesus poses that question actually to his own disciples at one point. He says, who do you say that I am? And the neat thing about Epiphany is that it is a season where we're invited to ask this question as well. Oftentimes in church on Sunday morning, the assigned scripture readings will reveal to us, see what I did there, epiphany, reveal, reveal to us another part of Jesus's character. And so these Bible studies over the next several weeks are going to reveal a different part of Jesus's character. Today, I want to introduce you to Jesus, the storyteller. We're going to be looking at a specific passage of scripture where Jesus shares a parable But part of what we learn through this parable is, yeah, Jesus was a storyteller. One of the ways he communicated his ideas was through story. And I think that's actually a unique aspect of Jesus's character. And there's something about knowing that that invites us to look at the world differently. If our Savior was a storyteller, well, then maybe stories are really important and something we should be paying more attention to. Anyways, let's get into the scripture passage itself. The way we're going to do this is with real hearty Bible studies, but with this broad overview first. Jesus, the storyteller. Okay, now let me share with you a Bible story where we see Jesus portrayed as a storyteller. We are going to look at Luke chapter 20, verses 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And we'll do, as we often do on the Together for Good podcast, we're just going to read through this slowly, verse by verse. And I'll stop all the way along the way to give you additional info. But hopefully you've been able to turn in your own Bibles, if you want to follow along or pull it up online, to Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. Let's get started. Verse 25. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. Ah, so it's a lawyer 
who's saying these things. In those days, what you need to remember is that lawyers uh, certainly didn't have the reputation that they do nowadays. But in those days, there was no difference between civil laws and religious laws. It was all just kind of one. The separation of church and state did not exist at that point in time, um, at least not in the way that we understand it nowadays. And so when it, the text tells us that it's a lawyer, this is actually probably someone who had studied the laws of Moses. So we might actually call them a religious scholar in this day and age, but in other words, it's, it's a lawyer. And it's someone, obviously, who's well-versed in what the scriptures have to say, which is interesting because a lot of the way that the lawyer acts certainly seems as if he is not as well-versed in the law as one might expect. But that's why it gives us that little note in the beginning that the lawyer is trying to test Jesus. And so he must know the laws quite well and is trying to find a way to trap Jesus as part of this. Another piece to remember about all this is that the, the religious authorities of Jesus's day didn't really like Jesus. So this lawyer, you know, someone well-versed in the laws of Moses was probably part of that religious elite that felt threatened by what Jesus was doing and what Jesus was saying. Okay, so coming back, though, to this specific verse, verse 25, notice that the the lawyer is asking about how do I inherit eternal life? How do I inherit eternal life? That's very strange and very specific language. And actually, if you look back at Genesis chapter 12. I won't make you um, flip in your Bibles there. If you want to, feel free. Pause the podcast and go ahead. But I want to read this part for you because this is a verse that does have some real connection to the specific phrasing that the lawyer is using. And these words of Genesis, if he's a a lawyer, someone well-versed in the laws of Moses, that individual is probably well aware of what Genesis chapter 12 had to say. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When the lawyer in Luke's gospel asks Jesus about inheriting eternal life, This is the inheritance that he's speaking of. The people of Israel have been promised to be made a great nation, to be blessed. They have been promised that they will be given land. This is the inheritance that they will receive. It's tricky because we get caught up on the lawyer's use of the word eternal life. And our mind automatically jumps to this idea of heaven. We think that the lawyer is asking, hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to get into heaven? That's not exactly what he would have been talking about in those days. Scholars agree that the, ter- the phrase eternal life is one that we've used in a lot of different ways since then. But back in the day when someone was talking about eternal life, they were talking about life in God's kingdom. Life in the promised age that God had predicted so long ago. They're talking about this life described in Genesis chapter 12. Nowhere do you, you know, we listen to Genesis 12 and nowhere they're talking about, you know, angels with harps sitting on clouds and eating cream cheese. That's our modern day picture of what this phrase eternal life means. In those days, what the lawyer was picturing was 
the promises that God made to Abram so long ago, the promises that underlie the entire Jewish faith and tradition, that God will make Israel a great nation and continually bless them and bless their ancestors in all the years that are to come. So it's this slight nuance, but I think it's really important because it does give us um, a a different way of, of kind of thinking about the lawyer's question itself. Eternal life means living in the promised age, at least in the way that the lawyer is using it here. Okay, that was one verse, everybody. <laughs> There's a lot in here. I promise I won't have as much to say about the next few verses. Gosh, these Bible studies are fun. All right, verse 26 now. Let's come back to the Luke passage. Verse 26, Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? <laughs> See, Jesus doesn't give the lawyer an answer. He knows the lawyer's tricks. He's using the Socratic method. Isn't this great? Answer a question with another question. And then what's interesting is that Jesus is, uh, obviously, notice the words he uses, what is written in the law? Hey, Mr. Lawyer, sir, you are well-versed in the law. I realize you're trying to trap me now, so why don't you tell me what the law says since you're a lawyer and all? All right. Here's how the lawyer responds in verse 27. The lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This is a very famous passage and quote in scripture. You can find it in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the lawyer kind of combines those two quotes into one here. Additionally, this is something that's called the Shema, and it's a very sacred uh, Jewish blessing. If you've ever seen a mezuzah, which is um, usually adhered to the doorposts of uh, a house in a Jewish family, they'll have this special ornamental piece right by the doorpost and contained within this little capsule next to the door and within the mezuzah is a copy of the Shema of this blessing. And so the idea is that when you exit the house or when you enter the house, that you will recite and remember these words, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, that's basically what's contained within there. If you've ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, um, sometimes in certain productions of that, um, when you know they'll they'll you'll see some of the characters touching the doorpost and like maybe kissing their hand and touching the doorpost as they go in and out of their house. That's because this is a mezuzah with the Shema, and that's part of the whole ritual of entering and exiting uh, a Jewish home like that. So pretty neat. And so obviously, the lawyer knows this blessing. Everyone who was listening to this conversation between Jesus and the lawyer knew this blessing and these words. And really. I should mention, too, what the lawyer says here isn't quite an exact replication of the Shema, but it, it's it's a combination of two instructions, one in Leviticus, one in Deuteronomy. So the lawyer does a pretty good job of answering his own question, in other words. Um, and what's important to note, though, about what the lawyer is saying, about the actual content of these words, is that they're a holistic commitment and a holistic connection to God. God is... Our mind, God is the God of our mind and our soul and our strength and our heart. And so what this blessing gets at is this idea that no part of ourselves should be withheld from God. And it's really three commandments. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. Um, And so anyways, I just think it's a very beautiful phrase in a lot of ways. And certainly, you know, the lawyer gives a good answer. That's That's a great way 
to move your life into God's vision for it. Because again, that's really what the lawyer was asking about. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And remember, eternal life in his sense is this life where Israel is a thriving nation that is blessed by God and able to bless others. Well, how would you create a nation like this? You'd create a whole community of people who love God with all their heart, their soul, and their mind. And inherently by doing that, they would then be in a position to bless and care for others. The commandments of God always end up as a blessing for us. It's always hard to understand. It feels like God's telling you what to do, but God is commanding these things because God knows it's the best way to live. So all of that is inherent within the lawyer's question and what's happening here. Let's keep going. Verse 28. And Jesus said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. See, Jesus gets it. He's absolutely right. He's showing the lawyer exactly what I was just saying there, right there, right? Like that if you live in this way, that is how you can move into a life in the way that God had always envisioned it, in the way that God had always promised life would be. It's more than just studying the law and knowing the answers. It's also an act of living. And I really appreciate that that's how Jesus says this. Do this and you will live. Because the lawyer's original question was about what must I do? And so Jesus is kind of putting it back. Yeah, there's some real action to it. You have to do this and you have to live out this type of blessing. Okay, this is now all the precursor, this little exchange to Jesus's story that he's going to tell. In order to kind of illustrate his point, Jesus is going to help the lawyer better understand by telling a story. Let's look at what happens next. Verse 29. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the lawyer was trying to trap Jesus and then, you know, kind of got trapped himself. And so he's trying to go further by saying like, okay, like it says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But like, who's actually my neighbor? And so Jesus now tells a story. A certain man, Jesus said, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. I want to point out that the main character in this story is not defined by any particular factor. All Jesus says is a certain man. So what's brilliant about the storytelling approach of Jesus here is that whoever hears this parable is invited to imagine themselves in that position. There's no identifying factor. We'll see later on there's identifying factors to all the other characters in this parable, but not the main character. A certain man could be Anyone of any nationality, age, you get the idea. And this is, frankly, a common feature in the way that Jesus tells stories. Very often, the main character is extremely ambiguous. And that is a way, it's a method of drawing you, the listener, in. Of imagining yourself as the main character in the story that Jesus is telling. It's a really clever way of getting your ideas across, of making them personal and helping them connect on a deeper level with individuals. Another piece just to mention about this verse, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, I'm guessing none of you listening have traveled the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, at least not recently. And, and what's the piece is, though, anyone who was listening to Jesus tell this parable at that time would have totally understood the significance of that locale. Jerusalem to Jericho was a notoriously dangerous road. It descended 3,300 feet 
over the course of 17 miles. So it was just treacherous in and of its own right. And there were many narrow passage points along the trail where bandits would hide out. It was a really easy place to be taken over by bandits, be stripped and beaten and left on the side of the road half dead, as we learn happened to the main character in this parable from Jesus. Okay, moving on to verse 31. Let's find out what happens next. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw the man on the side of the road, he passed him by on the other side. The priest, can you believe the way that the priest is acting? And certainly, the priest is a character that you might expect to be the one to help him. But he passes on the other side of the road. And this is partially understandable. I want to give the priest some credit here because priests were concerned with ritual cleanliness. If this priest was traveling on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho, we must assume, you know, maybe he was trying to do some sort of priestly business. He needed to go say some blessings and prayers. And so he needed to be ritually clean when he arrived. There were lots of laws about cleanliness in those days. And if the priest was to touch a dead body or or a body where blood was exposed, that would have made him ritually unclean for seven days. He would have had to quarantine. We understand that these days, don't we? And so there is a part to this, that the priest was concerned about the job that he had to do. And so he passed by on the other side because he didn't want to become unclean. And yet, this is part of the point that Jesus is trying to make by telling this story. Priests were often so concerned about the rules and the regulations that they would forget how to be true neighbors. Jesus is inserting his own little dig at the priestly community with the way that he portrays them in this parable. Oh, but it's not just the priests that get roasted. Check out verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Uh, Levites, um, one of the things that you might not know, uh, Levites had close connection to the temple. Levites were often you know, part of the, the high um, priest class in some ways. They weren't actually priests, but they were very tied up in taking care of the temple and in religious worship. And so they're very similar. Likely, right, Jesus chose the Levites. It's a very similar type of character as to the priests. And so, again, likely had the same, you know, if we think about the priests they probably or the, the Levites, they were also concerned with their own ritual cleanliness. So it kind of makes sense that they would pass by on the other side. And yet, Jesus says, that's the problem. You all can become so concerned with your religious rules and rituals that you forget how to actually live out God's call for your life. Whoa. All right. Keep going. Let's find out who the good guy is. (laughs) There's 33 through 35. I'm going to read you a couple here. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. And then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of this man, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spent. Now, here's the really clever part about Jesus, the storyteller. He's using an old trope, actually. Everyone hearing this parable would have assumed that the third character is the one who's going to be the hero. It was a common rhythm to the way that stories and parables were told in those days. But it goes further than that. People would have assumed that the third character, the hero, 
would have been an Israelite. There were other parables in those days about priests and Levites and Israelites. And the Israelites were always serving as the hero of the tale. So it's kind of like, you know, we have the whole, you know, a, a priest, a rabbi, and a pastor walk into a bar. It's kind of like that, that there is this rhythm to it. And so you would expect, oh, and then finally the Israelite comes and saves the day. Only Jesus does the exact opposite, which is such a powerful storytelling technique to get people into a certain rhythm of expectation and then to shock them with your overall point by changing the rhythm around a little bit. And of course, that's what he does. It's not an Israelite who shows up. It's a Samaritan. Samaritans were considered unclean just by themselves because they were descendants of mixed marriage that occurred during the time when the Assyrians occupied the northern kingdom of Israel. There's this whole like racist element to the way that Samaritans were viewed, in other words. And so they were just inherently considered unclean, which again is fascinating when you think about all the talk of uncleanliness that we've already gone through in studying this scripture passage. So the Levites are concerned with their cleanliness, so they walk on the other side. And the priests are concerned with their cleanliness, so they walk by on the other side. But a Samaritan comes along and is actually a neighbor to this hurting man, even though you all tell me that this Samaritan is unclean. And so it's Jesus totally flipping the expectations and, and inviting all of religious life, you know, all those listening to look in the mirror and think about what they're actually doing here. Are you concerned with rituals and rules and who married who thousands of years ago? Or are you going to follow the ways of Jesus and love your neighbor as yourself? That's really what Jesus is getting at with this entire parable. The, the point is clear. The social order of, and stuff that so many people concern themselves with, it doesn't matter at all. Race, religion, status, they count for nothing. Compassion is what matters. Community cannot be defined by stereotypes. Compassion is what matters if you want to inherit eternal life. It's basically how Jesus answers the lawyer's question. And what's interesting is after Jesus tells this incredibly provocative story. Again, I can't underscore enough how provocative it must have been when he did first gave this story, told this parable. This is what Jesus says at the end, verse 36. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Jesus tells this whole story and then puts it back to the lawyer, right? Someone who's very concerned with laws and rules and regulations, as we've, already, as we've already discussed. And the lawyer responds and he says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Notice the lawyer's response. He refuses to even fully acknowledge what Jesus is implying. He doesn't say the Samaritan, because that is probably too scandalous for the lawyer. For him to acknowledge that the Samaritan is, is able to show mercy. He just says the one who showed him mercy. But this is also the lesson here overall. Neighbors are not defined by where they come from or by their race or their religion or their tribe. They are defined by what they do. A neighbor is someone who shows mercy and compassion. And notice too, Way back in the beginning, in part one of the conversation, Jesus says to the lawyer, do this and you will live. And now here at the end, he says, go and do likewise. The emphasis is always on action, 
and specifically action that doesn't require reward or inheritance. Selfless action is how you would inherit the kingdom of God, how you would inherit eternal life. That's the lawyer's original question. And the lawyer, again, because of who he is, is probably looking for, you know, clear answers and rules and regulations. And the whole parable is about how that doesn't matter. And what actually matters is the way that we treat one another. A neighbor doesn't show mercy in order to get the reward. It's simply just what they do. Go and do likewise. Do this and you shall live. This is what Jesus wants us to know. This is what his whole story is about. Is about the ways that when we live out God's calling to love our neighbor and to, and to selflessly and compassionately do that again and again and again, when we do that, that helps create this time, this place where God's kingdom reigns. The, the lawyer's asking about inheriting eternal life. And again, as we discussed many times, that is this real vision of God blessing Israel for generations to come. And that's what Jesus is saying is this is how it can happen. Is if more people acted like neighbors, if we worried less about where you came from or what the rules and regulations said, and instead we just showed up to love and care for people when they were in need. Wow. Jesus is a really good storyteller. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this and you learned something new, both about the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, but also just some new things to think about in terms of the character of Jesus. What does it mean for us to say that Jesus is a storyteller? On top of all the other labels we attach to him, Jesus the storyteller. I want you to meet Jesus in new ways all throughout this Bible study series. I hope you enjoyed this one. Share the podcast with friends and family. We really appreciate your continued support. Stay in peace, everyone.